You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. So again, welcome to all of you. So great that you're with us, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're so glad to have you worshiping and learning with us this morning, and we have a great time in the Word ahead of ourselves. But as we prepare to dive into that, I have a couple questions for you. The first is this. Ever said something you wish you hadn't said? Ever done something you wish you hadn't done? And I heard one voice here in the room say, nope. Okay, you can leave now. But for the rest of us, we've been there, right? We've said things we wish we hadn't have said. We've done things we wish we hadn't have done. Last night, I was texting back and forth with um, one of my best friends. He's my college roommate or was my college roommate, was the best man in my wedding. And um, we were texting back and forth about some, some, just some stuff. And I was reminded of something that happened. Um, In our relationship many, many years ago, it was right before actually he got married. And he um, was in the process of planning for his wedding and what have you. And uh, Jamie and I decided that as our gift to him and to his future bride, we would pay for a couple nights of their honeymoon, wherever that was going to be. And they had decided that they were going to honeymoon at the Oregon coast. And so, in preparation for that, we, we wanted to surprise them, but we thought, you know, maybe we will tell them, but we just won't tell them how much we're going to pay for or, or what have you. So, we, we told them that this is what we wanted to do for them. And so, my roommate, Patrick, said, okay, so um, where is it? Where on the coast are you planning on sending us? And at this point in the planning process, I'd kind of forgotten the name of the hotel, so I've been to the coast a lot and I've driven by a lot of the hotels. And, you know, the Stephanie Inn, the Tolavana Inn, the Hallmark Inn, they're all kind of the same, right? So I threw a name out there and I said, I think it's this one. So he went down and scouted it out and came back and said, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. We're so looking forward to that. So the wedding happened and then the honeymoon happened. And the first day of their honeymoon, he calls and says, what was the name of the hotel you were sending us to? And I said, well, it's this. And he said, we're here and they don't have a reservation for us. Oops. But at this point, I was thinking, no, I'm I'm sure I've got this right. And so I began to insist that, no, it's this hotel. Well, Jay, there's no reservation here. And we kind of went back and forth. And then I consulted with Jamie, my wife, and my, my sweet bride said, honey, no, it's this hotel. Oh. And so we eventually sent them to the right hotel. But you ever been in one of those situations where you all of a sudden realize you're wrong in what you said or what you did and you begin to squirm and deny it or avoid it or not own it? And although it's it's very, very different situation, we're kind of diving into that kind of situation now in the passage we're going to be in here this morning. In some ways, this is a very uncomfortable passage because it speaks very deeply to all of us in ways that probably make us a little uncomfortable because this passage will help us face into some of the brokenness in you and me apart from right relationship, spirit-filled relationship with, with Christ and with others. So 
what we're coming to now is this passage where Peter is going to deny Jesus not once and not twice, but three times. He will publicly disavow any association with Jesus. And it's a hard passage to do business with. And as you can see from the the slide on the screens behind me, and those of you who are watching online have probably seen that too and noticed that, that we're beginning our Easter series this weekend. So we're jumping forward to this story in the Gospel of Matthew. We're jumping all the way to Matthew chapter 26 as we do a four-week countdown here to Resurrection Sunday and Easter Sunday. And what has happened in this progression of the story is this is really um, the last week of Jesus' life that proceeds from about Matthew 21 on. And so it's now the last night of Jesus' life. He and his disciples have eaten the, the Last Supper together. He has once again announced that he is going to go to his death very soon, and, but then be risen to new life, and the disciples still were trying to get their, their heads around that. What does that really mean? And so Judas has left to go betray Jesus, and they have now gone to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is now having this, this discussion with the disciples, and this is what happens from here. So then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So let's begin to work our way through this part of the passage. There is a quote here from the Old Testament. Jesus reaches back several hundred years to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, and he says this, I will strike the shepherd and the shepherd of the flock will be scattered. He quotes this, and he puts this into context. And I have been reading through the Old Testament. In fact, I just finished it. I went through this reading plan that was a year through the Old Testament. It took me three years by design because I wanted to stop and really reflect on the passages that just jumped out at me and where I had questions. I wanted to go back and do business with those. So it took me three years to get through the Old Testament, but very recently was I in this very passage. And when you come to this passage in Zechariah, which I'll put up on the screen here, It reads like this, Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered, I will turn my hand against the little ones. And as you're reading this in Zechariah, in this Old Testament book, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Because earlier in Zechariah, there is a false shepherd who's being struck, and now this is talking about a good shepherd that's being struck, and who is the shepherd, and who's doing the striking? You read this and you go, okay. And Jesus does something very significant here in quoting this to the disciples. He personalizes it. He puts in the pronoun I. That's not in Zechariah. And now it becomes very clear that this is prophecy, this is prediction of what is going to happen now. And Jesus is saying, this is you. I am the shepherd and you are the sheep and you are going to scatter. You are going to abandon me. And I think this is so significant for us to appreciate and understand. It certainly has been meaningful to me in my study of this, of this story and of what happened that night. 
that what is about to unfold is part of God's plan. God is pulling all these pieces together, and yes, there's, there's decisions and choices being made and profoundly broken ones as we're about to see, but God is going to weave this all together to accomplish His purposes. He knew this would happen. And so as we now go back to the story here, Peter is making a promise that he's not going to be able to keep. You ever done that? You ever made a promise that you didn't keep? Well, that is what's going to happen here. And interestingly, all the other disciples are going to follow him. Peter is the first among equals. He is the leader of the disciples. He makes this assertion, and the disciples are right behind him. They follow him into making this same promise, this same commitment. So, as we read on in the text, and we'll go to this next week, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He has this incredible, agonizing time of prayer with the Father. If there's any other way but the cross, then can we do that? And, and you see this incredible exchange that we'll look at a little bit next week. But after that, Jesus is arrested. Judas comes, and he leads the officials, the authorities, the soldiers to Jesus, betrays Jesus with a kiss, and then Jesus is taken to trial, and he goes before the Supreme Court of the day, the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, and we'll look at those dynamics next week, but it's basically a joke. They violate their own procedures. They don't have really the authority to, to sentence him to death, but they do. And at this point, they're mocking him and spitting on Jesus and beating him at this trial, and this is what happens as we jump further down into the passage now. So Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, well, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Such a, such a hard passage. But let's look at some dynamics here. Ironically, there are three entities that Peter denies Jesus to, and this is what's ironic, is it's two servant girls and just a group of people who are standing there. And what they all have in common is virtually no power over Peter. In that culture, in that day and age, Servant girls would have no authority. They would be no threat to anybody. And people who were standing there, it, okay, bystanders who are watching all this and taking it all in, but none of these people are a direct threat by their station, by their stature to Peter, and yet he denies Jesus to all of them. Now, in fairness to Peter, it took tremendous courage for him to follow the procession 
into the high priest's house into the, where the Sanhedrin was convening. He's putting himself at risk. There's tremendous courage. He is the only disciple who did this, we're told. All the, all the others abandoned Jesus and ran for their lives when he was arrested. So tremendous courage for Peter to even be there. But obviously, he's feeling very vulnerable, very threatened. And so he denies Jesus to these three people who really are these three entities who really don't have any power over him. And there's really no place for him to hide because he has an accent. Do you have an accent? Well, for many of us in the Northwest, if you're from the Eastern Seaboard or from parts of the Midwest or the Deep South or East Texas, I've been told by a Texan, not West Texas, okay, East Texas, you're going to have what we would say is a Southern accent, right? Y'all, y'all, you're we're going to know that you're not necessarily from the Northwest. You know, interestingly, my wife had this experience when, we went, when she went to college her first year in Arizona, of all places. Now, I know Arizona isn't like California where it's some foreign country that's kind of weird. I'm just kidding. We've got a lot of Californians here. But it's Arizona. It's not that far away. But there were a number of people who were convinced she had an accent. And when I went to visit her, they commented about my accent, which was just strange. But all that being said, if you go to a different place, you go to different parts of our country, parts that you're not necessarily from, people are probably going to think you have an accent or you speak differently. And evidently that was true of Peter because he was Galilean. You're one of those. You're not from around here. And Jesus was Galilean, so that means you had to be with him. The, the bottom line here is there's no place for Peter to hide here. And he denies, disavows Jesus three times. He denies, he lies. And it's easy for us to look at this and to say, how in the world could he do that? And I think there's a very important reality here for us to do business with. In many ways, Peter's the last person we would ever think would fail Jesus. I mean, think about his, his resume. He's been with Jesus for three years. He's heard him. He's lived with him. He's heard and seen the teachings. He's seen miracles. He's seen healings. In fact, when Jesus sent him and the other disciples out on some of those earlier missionary journeys, Peter himself was empowered by Jesus through the Holy Spirit to cast out demons, to perform healings in the name of Jesus. So he's personally experienced some of the things he's seen Jesus do. He's seen demons flee at the name of Jesus. He was there when Jesus did the incredible miracle of feeding thousands and thousands of people, not just once, but twice. He was there when Jesus went up to the mountain and the glory cloud of God enveloped them and, and the Father manifested himself. And then Moses, and Eli, he, he saw all these amazing things. Peter even walked on water. And he was the first among equals. He was the leader of the disciples. All heads in the room turned to him when he said things. He was the first one to publicly recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the first one to confess that among the disciples. There is no one who has a more impressive, more significant resume than Peter. And Peter fails Jesus, and not just once, not just twice, three times. How could he do that? 
I think there is a reality here for us to do business with, and it's this, that at some point we are going to fail Jesus. We're going to fail one another. We're going to fail ourselves. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear that? Aren't you glad you're watching this online and worshiping online to hear that? But, but it's, it's a reality. The best of us are going to fail. Have, ha, have you done business with this? Have you let the, the reality of this sink in? I, and I'm not sure that we do, at least part of the time. And again, the purpose of this isn't to shame you, but to do a reality check for all of us that there, there is a problem here. Let's go back to the question we wrestled with when Peter and the disciples made a promise they couldn't keep. Have you ever done that? You ever made a promise you couldn't keep? Some of you remember this song, and it it haunts me. I do not like it. It's called The Cats in the Cradle. You remember that old song? Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. It's this song, basically, about this dad who is so consumed and so busy, he never has time for his kids, and the kids constantly make these bids for connection and ask him to spend time with him and ask him to play with him. In particular, this song is about his son who does this, and the dad always says, oh yeah, tomorrow, 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 or later, 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 later. And then as the song goes, the son turns out to be just like the dad, and the roles are reversed. And now the dad is in his golden years and has all this time can no longer work and busy himself, and now he's making appeals to the son. Son, I'd like to see you and the kids. Son, I'd like to see you and your wife and the kids. Son, I'd like to spend time with you. And what does the son say? Uh, Yeah, tomorrow, Dad. And he never shows up. Yeah, Dad, we'll, we'll do that again at some point. And I remember hearing this song before I had kids, and I remember swearing to myself, that will not be me. That song haunted me. And as I've talked with my kids and as I've done business with this through the years, I, as a dad, I'd, I'd give myself maybe a B plus, maybe an A minus in the time that I invested into my kids, but there were certainly those times when they would make an appeal for my attention, when they would ask me to spend time with them, when they'd ask me to get on the floor and play with them, when they'd ask me to go somewhere with them, and I would say, yes, in just a bit, and it never happened. All of us, at some point, fail other people and, and fail God. Are you denying Jesus this morning like Peter did? He gives you an opportunity to tell his story, and you pass on it because you don't want to offend someone or you don't want to create tension or you just don't want to do it. You have the opportunity to be generous, and you pass on that. You have the opportunity to forgive someone, and you choose not to. You have the opportunity to be faithful, and instead you blow it. And again, the purpose of this isn't to shame us. It's just to do business with reality to own the brokenness that we all do battle with. 
that at some point we're going to fail God and fail others. And, and we have to realize that there, there's a problem. And instead of avoiding that, denying that, anesthetizing ourselves to it, numbing ourselves to it, we need to do business with it. And this is why we can do business with it, is the Lord is faithful when we're not. And we see that in this story. You see, here's the reality. The Lord knows we're going to fail Him. He knows we're going to fail one another. We're going to let ourselves down at times. He knows that, and he still loves us. Do you realize the Lord knows when the disciples are going to fail him, that they're going to fail him, how they're going to fail him, and he still loves them? Do you realize that's true for me and you? Let that sink in for a minute. God does not love a future version of you. And he doesn't love a future version of me. He sees us in all our brokenness, in all our failings, knowing we're going to fail him time and time again, knowing we're going to fail others time and time again, knowing we're not going to keep our promises time and time again, and he still loves us. My friends, that is not a license to stay in that brokenness. That is an escape from it. And we have to recognize that and realize that. He chose us. He loves us despite our brokenness, in the face of our brokenness. Our brokenness attracts His grace. We aren't saved by our commitment to, to, to Him. We're saved by His commitment to us. And the reality of this, this story and your story and mine is that failure can be redeemed. Knowing that Peter and the disciples are going to fail him and fail miserably, by the way. They're going to abandon him. Peter's going to publicly deny him, not once, but three times. Jesus says this very thing in the first passage we read. I deliberately skipped over it so we could come back to it. He says this. You're all going to fail me, but by the way, after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, that's profoundly hopeful. And it's an amazing statement, and we'll unpack more of what happened in Galilee on Easter. We'll see what happened in Galilee, and in part what Jesus is referring to here. But the one who truly captures it and brings it to life and tells us in detail what happened with Peter in particular in Galilee with his failure and how that was redeemed was the Gospel of John, was John. John chapter 21. Jesus, in front of all the other disciples over a campfire after they had eaten some food, after he had risen from the dead and was showing himself to them, showing himself to be faithful, doing exactly what he said he'd do, in front of the other disciples, Peter asked Peter, excuse me, Jesus asked Peter, not once, but three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not because he didn't know but because he was redeeming and restoring Peter. He was redeeming Peter's failure. It's profoundly beautiful and profoundly important for us to understand. In many ways, Jesus was saying, Peter, you need to know that I know 
what you know. I know what you said. I know what you did. And I forgive you. And if you will let me, I will use this in your life. And Peter does. Have you ever read First and Second Peter, which he wrote in the New Testament? A very, very different Peter than the Peter we see in the early parts of the Gospels. This is a Peter who is humble, who is teachable, who is faithful, who is, who is loving. And you think about the implications of this. What if Peter did not receive Jesus' forgiveness? What if his failure became his identity? Would we even have First and Second Peter? Would Peter have been one of the central leaders in the early church as Jesus deliberately prepared him to be? Failure wasn't his identity, and failure is not yours or mine. In the kingdom of God, failure is not a person. It's an event. It happens, but it is not our core identity. My friends, the reality is, unfortunately, because of our brokenness, because we are sinners in progress, actually we're saints, as the New Testament always refers to us, who still wrestle with sin and brokenness in our lives, yes, at times we're going to fail God, we're going to fail others, we're going to fail ourselves, but it's not our identity. How we respond to that is what really matters. My friends, who are you this morning? What is your identity? Are you being defined by your past or present failures? Or does the God of the universe give you your identity? Because you see, my friends, failure can be redeemed. And so, therefore, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. We need to allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to speak into our failures. Because, you see, redemption is much, much more than just remorse or feeling bad about how we've failed or denied God or failed or let down others. It has to be accompanied with repentance. And there's a very deliberate contrast that's being set up in these passages and in these chapters we're going to be looking at in these next couple weeks. There's a deliberate contrast being made between Peter and Judas. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. But something happened with Peter. When it says he went outside and he wept bitterly after he realized he had done exactly what Jesus had predicted and said he would do, Of course he was remorseful. But based on what happened after that, it was more than just feeling bad about what he had done. He actually responded to the grace of God, to the forgiveness of God that was offered to him. He did business with his failure, and he accepted the restoration that Jesus gave him. See, my friends, repentance is a change of heart and mind and values. It's a turning away from our brokenness and a choice of turning towards God. And it's, a, it's an ongoing process. 
Sometimes it's a daily process. Sometimes it's an hourly moment-by-moment process. But you see, Judas never repents. He's remorseful. If you will read on in Matthew 27, he realizes what he has done, but he doesn't repent. In fact, he runs from God and takes his life. Peter runs to God in his failure and finds his life. Very, very different contrast between the two. And you see, we live in a culture where people are constantly expressing remorse. Someone fails, and they will post something on Twitter or social media or whatever, and they really feel bad and they're really sorry, and then they go out and do it again. Wash, repeat, right? Wash, lather, repeat. No, no, no. The grace of God is not a license to continue to sin. It is the escape from sin and brokenness. He gives us the ability and the power through His Holy Spirit to choose to be faithful, to choose to face into our failures, to not pretend that there's something they're not, to call them what they are, but then to get up, dust ourselves off, receive His forgiveness and restoration, and to keep going at it again. That's, that's what He does for us. Because at the end of the day, sin is, sin is not just about breaking God's law. It's about breaking God's heart. And that should matter to us. And that when this amazing God gives us His forgiveness, gives us His grace, gives us a fresh start, gives us a second and third and fourth and fifth chance, we need to take advantage of that. We need to take Him up on that. We need to receive that. Many years ago, when I was first a Jesus follower, shortly after I had received Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior, I was in this discipleship group with our student ministry pastor, and there were six of us who were being discipled. And we would meet together and talk about the Word and and talk about what God was teaching us and pray together. It was a very, very rich time. And throughout the course of my life, I've always either been discipling someone or being discipled by someone. And I think that's a really, really important dynamic for all of us in our growth is that we're in community, that we're receiving input from others, that we're growing with others. But anyway, in this discipleship group, I remember it was my senior year and it was about two, three months before I was to graduate and head off to college. And the same was true with a couple of the other guys and then a couple of the other guys were juniors. But I remember our student ministry pastor looking at all of us in the eye. He went around and looked at all six of us and said, I predict that a year from now, four out of the six of you will fall away. Will not be following Jesus a year from this time. And I remember sitting there thinking, how does he know that? Is it me? Is that really going to happen? And it did. A year later, only two of us out of that group were choosing to, to love Jesus and to walk with him, to live for him. The other four were not. And I thought, how did he know that? And years later, as I was asking him that very question, he laughed and he said, I'm not a prophet and don't pretend to be, but this is how I could say that. 
I knew what was going on in all of your lives individually. And there was stuff that was happening off the grid, not in our group, but in the individual lives of the six of you. And I could tell by the choices that were being made and by how some of you were responding to the sinfulness and selfishness and brokenness in your lives that that's probably where things were going to go. Said I wasn't being prophetic. It was just what was happening, and it played itself out. Because there were four guys in this group who would be sometimes remorseful about the brokenness in their lives, their failings, their denials of Jesus, whatever that looked like, but they weren't repentant. They weren't willing to take the forgiveness of God and own that forgiveness and choose to see it as a way out of their brokenness, not an excuse to keep doing it. So my friends, the question for you and me at any given point is, are you running to God in your failure? Or are you running away from Him? And so as our worship team comes and as we prepare to respond, we're going to sing this song and worship together and sing about the reality of God's faithfulness and that it is well with our souls. And my encouragement to you is as you sing this song, as you think about where you're at this morning, what you're struggling with, maybe how you've failed, either the Lord or someone else in your life or even yourself, will you choose to trust Him, to receive His forgiveness? to take advantage of the fresh start that He promises to give you, to believe in who He says you are, and to not allow your past failings or present struggles to define who you are. So let me pray as we prepare to, to worship together. Lord Jesus, I thank You that You are a God of grace, that You are a God who loves us without condition, and Lord, that is not an excuse to stay in our brokenness and to be selfish and sinful. That is the way out. To know that you love us in our brokenness and that you promise us something better. You call us to something more. Would we truly believe that together here this morning? As we sing this song, could we truly say that it is well with our soul because we're choosing to trust you and what you say about us? and what you offer us. So would we live in that reality this morning? Would we believe it? Would we own it? And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We celebrate that here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And he is faithful. Even when we're not, he is. And I love this statement here in Galatians. It's one of my favorite verses it's such a powerful identity statement, and I want to encourage you as you listen to this to, to let it soak in. If you need to close your eyes and that helps you do that, then let me encourage you to do that. But listen to these words. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would remember who we are in you. We would believe what you say about us. And Lord, you know, you know that there will be those times we're going to squirm, we're going to be fearful, and we're going to say things, we're going to do things that we wish we didn't say or do, we're going to deny you, we're even going to fail at times. And yet, Lord, that is not our identity. And you see all that, and you still love us. And your grace gives us the ability, when those things happen, to forgive ourselves, forgive others, and choose to get back up and to walk and follow and trust and obey you. So, Lord, would we remember that as we go from here? Thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing love, that we can say it is well with our souls because you are with us and we have you. And we do love you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So go and live for him. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.